Well, speaking of coffee, let's talk about Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the people that we mentioned was Jacques Gusteau. Jacques Gusteau was a, was he a marine biologist? I have no idea. He was a marine biologist, uh, a scientist. I just answered my own question. Yeah. Nobody knows, so I'm just going to make it up. No. But he was a scientist. He was uh, a dude that spent a lot of time in the ocean. Yeah. A lot of time. Submarines and whatnot. And he he was one of the first people to actually document what he labeled a feeding frenzy, which happened to be the title from our from our Sunday sermon. Yeah, yeah. But let's let's talk about what is a what's a feeding frenzy? What's that look like? Well, when you talked about it on Sunday, because mm-hmm. I'm not a marine biologist, <laughs> what I know about this You've comes been to Sea World though. Yeah, back when there was a Sea World. Yeah. yeah, you can't do that now. Yeah. Um there uh there's apparently like when there's blood in the water, yeah, the sharks will come, and it doesn't necessarily matter what they're biting at a certain point. They right. get into a feeding frenzy, and right. they can't differentiate between like a meal and their cousin. Yeah, and so they just bite them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, we have our Sunday night uh, National Geographic thing that we do with our with our kids, right? We eat a pizza and we watch National Geographic, and one of the one of the things that our kids love to watch uh, is just anything that has to do with sharks. Yeah, the Shark Week. There's you know, and there's years of it, so we're always watching that stuff. And they've shown like feeding frenzies before. It's intense. Yeah. They're, they're, oh yeah. There's hundreds of sharks in the water. Hundreds, and it's just just the the water is just red, just completely red. So I think it's fascinating. I think it's even more fascinating than that. Jacques Gusteau was was a filmmaker apart from a scientist who got into the water underneath and was the first one to catch that. Yeah. You know, he was a, he was a, there was a, there was some film. They made a film forever ago that kind of made light of him as yeah, a made character. Fun of him. He made fun of him as See, a character. Yeah, that's what I know about Jacques Cousteau yeah. is from literally the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's called the life aquatic yeah. and me and Jera, we, we grew up in Worcester, you know, Worcester yeah. well, uh, there was a movies ten there, but if you really wanted to like yeah. have a real day, yeah, the creme de la creme, yeah, you would go up to like Belden Village Mall up yeah. in Canton. That's where you really took the girls you cared about, right? And so, Jerry, I cared about her, <laughs> so we like shelled out the money, mm-hmm. and I picked this movie because I knew the director was Wes Anderson, yeah, and I liked Rushmore, which was. And when you're 16, who knows why you like what you like, okay? Right. But I liked Rushmore, and I liked the Royal Tenenbaums. Right, yeah. And so I thought, this movie, I've been waiting for this movie to come out. Yeah. It was so terrible Yeah. that she has, to this day, never let me forget that yeah. I made her. Does she let you choose movies now? Well, yeah. She okay. <laughs> she She reciprocated because we went to a movie that had Mandy Moore in it. Oh. It was called, man, now I got to... Was it I the one where she she died in the movie? It was How to Deal. How even, to Deal. I don't even know. That might be the worst movie <laughs> I've ever seen. So we're even, actually. But yeah. here, here's what I want to know. All right, in the comment section, you guys, I want to know what's the worst movie you have ever paid money to, like, yeah. not like Blockbuster or Netflix, but you paid money, you got dressed up, you went out and went to a movie theater and watched. What's the worst movie yeah. you've ever done? I can with? tell you which one was the one for me. Yeah. I Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. Yes, you saw it with me. No, that must oh, have been. Oh no. no, I didn't see. We that. went on a we went on a retreat and we had staff with us, 
and yeah, you weren't feeling well, so you didn't go. Yeah. And I went and saw this movie with, with some of the staff. That was the worst movie ever. <laughs> Paid money to sit there and watch the dumbest movie That's ever. That's because you haven't seen How to Deal no, with Mandy Moore. No, I have not seen that. Well, back to Sharks. Yeah, Okay. sure. So when, when you were talking about this on Sunday, I don't know why, but what's the most famous sea-related thing in the Bible? It's Jonah, right? Okay, sure. Jonah, and as we know, Jonah... Mm-hmm. And I think that this actually can relate back to Sunday, so we can talk about that. But okay. but I have trouble just staying on task. So yeah. Jonah was swallowed by a fish, a giant fish. Okay. And he was in the belly of a fish for three days. And okay. so I was thinking about this, and we do these would-you-rathers with our kids, and I know yeah. you do this with yes. your kids too. So here's yeah. what I want to know. Would you rather okay. be like— Is this like, for me? Yeah, this is for you. Or is this for people watching? Uh, people listening. watching. You guys, I want to know what you have to say too. Yeah. Would you rather be swallowed and spend three days in the belly of a giant fish Okay. or have to have a fish in your belly swimming around like crazy for three straight days? That wouldn't bother me at all. No, it's thrashing. How it's, big is the fish? It's like a four-pound bass. <laughs> it's a big one. What's wrong with his stomach? I just got a four-pound bass in my gut. It'll be gone in a few days. Don't <laughs> how? Worry. Yeah. I don't want to know how no. it's going to be gone. All right. Uh, I, I still think you have to have a fish in your stomach. Here's one of the things. I saw a scientific breakdown of, of, uh, of Jonah being in the stomach of a large fish, be it a large whale, be it a large shark, whatever. Yeah. And it broke down a lot of the things that I never even really thought about. Like he was being digested. Yeah. Like what happens to your skin and yeah. stuff. And so there's like, he probably lost a lot of vision. Like he's mm-hmm. just hanging out in stomach acid, you know, like his hair is gone. Yeah. His skin is bleached. My hair's ripping. already gone. My skin looks like it's bleached. <laughs> so when he think about that with Jonah, when he is essentially launched onto shore from the the stomach of this of this animal, can you imagine and he just goes straight to town. Can you Im- no wonder they were so terrified. <laughs> That's true. It's like the walking dead coming to Nineveh. I mean, this I can't imagine how bad he smelled. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So for that point, I would rather have a fish in my stomach for three days. I'd still rather be inside a fish for three days. Are you serious? Days. Yeah. Even if it made you go blind? and I mean, I think I'd get my sight back eventually. Oof. I just don't like things. Uh, my worst fear is throwing up. I'd feel like I had to throw up for three yeah. straight days. Yeah, that'd be really hard. So relate that back. I'm going to relate yeah, that thanks. back. thanks. not going to make you do the segue there. So Jonah preaches to the people in Nineveh. Mm-hmm. And then he's actually mad yeah. when they repent of their sin. Yeah. Right? And on Sunday, you were talking about how Jesus is our advocate, right? Right. right. And how the, the law mm-hmm. of Christ, the mm-hmm. law, like what you find in the Old Testament, it can, it's like about behavior modification. It doesn't mm-hmm. change your desires. Right. Right? And so with Jonah, his, his desire wasn't changed. Right. Like he was told to preach, and so he preached, mm-hmm. but he wasn't happy that the Assyrians no. ended up repenting. It's what grace is what begins to change your desires when it comes to yeah, sin. Yeah. The law can only modify behavior, but it can't change your heart, right? So the only thing that can change your heart is, the, is, is Christ, is the grace of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that can change 
why we behave the way we behave, not just how we behave, but why we behave that way right. is, is the Holy Spirit. Everything else is, is behavior modification. And that's, I think that's why I have such a hard time with religion and overly religious people who are extremely disciplined in the, in the things of religion. That, that's all well and good. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a disciplined person, but you can be an incredibly disciplined person even in things of a spiritual or religious nature and not know Jesus Christ. Mm. So evidence of um, the Holy Spirit in your life can't only be how you behave. It, it could be an indicator, right? but it should, we should always be examining our desires. It's not like I want to murder. So, it's not like I go and murder somebody, but I might have a strong desire of hatred towards that person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not just the behavior, it's the thought, which is fascinating when you think about Scripture, which, which it says that God knows the heart. You know, Man looks on the outside, right. but God is the one who views the heart. And he talks about yeah. the Pharisees. He says, you know, you guys are horrible. You wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy. He says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs on the outside. It's beautiful, but in the inside, it's full of death and rotting bones and decay. And I think even to this day, we're so focused on the outside, right? Yeah. And here's how I think it does relate what you're saying. I think one of the things that happens is when we get a glimpse of somebody's inside mm. on the outside, we push them away. Right. So you talk about, you know, in the book of Matthew where Jesus mm. gives you the response. How how as a Christian should you respond when mm -hmm. someone sins against you or right. when sin is right. sin is, you know, in the picture, obvious, right. you can't overlook it. Right. A lot of times, instead of dealing with that head on, mm -hmm. you want to either condemn behind mm -hmm. the person's back or gossip. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you 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 judge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how does Jesus tell us that we should deal with sin? When someone sins against us, mm -hmm. what's the process look like? Yeah. Well, and Jesus gives us that outline in Matthew 18, right? He says... If, if you have ought, right? That's a definitely a Bible word, ought. ought. But if you have ought against somebody or they have ought, whatever, if there's sin in somebody's life, and I think also it's predicated on relationship, and that's the whole thing here. Mm. And you could really say, if you have a relationship with this person um, and there's sin between you, go to that person one-on-one. -on -one. And it says, if, if you guys, if you make it right, then you have gained a brother. If they do not listen to you, then take two or three individuals with you um, so they can repent, you know. If they still don't listen, then then bring this in front of your your church. And I think in essence, church then was different than church now, so I think that's more like a, a small group context or a leadership context, you know. It's not like you're bringing, here's this one person who sinned in front of a church of 5,000 people, okay. right? Yeah. Um, but I think to whatever degree, the point is never humiliation. And right. I think that's part of the point that Jesus is making here. The point is not to humiliate somebody. The point is see, to see them repent and for restoration to take place. And I think that's where you can get back to Jonah a little bit. Because okay. he wanted God to humiliate Oh, uh, he hated them. But hold on. Rightfully so. Oh, they were awful. They, they were just demolishing Israel and oppressing they Israel. Would, and they would, I mean, you can, yeah. you, you can read historical accounts of the Ninevites. They would, uh, sorry if your little kids are listening, but they would skin people yeah. alive and hang them on the walls. Brutal, man. They were unbelievable. So, so Jonah approaches this sin, mm -hmm. but his desire isn't 
to advocate mm-hmm. for them no. before God. Yeah. His desire was to see God humiliate, humiliate them. Humiliate and destroy them. And destroy them. And mm-hmm. so when it's we go to approach someone, mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. really got to check our desire, yeah. right? Oh, 100%. What is my heart in yeah. approaching you about this sin? And Jesus, he even warns us like, hey, check out that. There's a log in your eye, man. Yeah. Like, make sure you're not picking it little yeah. specks of sawdust in yeah. someone else's. Well, that's the thing that's wild, I think, because when Jesus is making this claim to the Pharisees, hey, you're like whitewashed tombs. Sure, it looks good on the outside, but inside there's death. Hey, you're like a cup that somebody washes on the outside, but inside it's, it's, it's gross. It's interesting whenever we are so quick to call out the sin in others and pretend like that's not inside of us. Yeah. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that we are so quick to, to cast the first stone, or so quick to jump on that with others is because when I'm, when I'm calling that out or when somebody is calling that out in somebody else, all the attention goes to them right. and their sin, and now the focus is off of me. Because if I'm really honest, I know what's inside of me. I'm not pumped about that. Yeah, That's part of the reason that I continue to push into this relationship uh, of grace with Jesus Christ, because quite frankly, I know what's on the inside of me. You know, I know how depraved that is. Yeah. And so apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, there's no good inside me at all. And so if I know that about myself, then I should equally know that about the people around me. Doesn't mean that I change the standard for how people should live. Doesn't mean I should change the standard for, you know, what sin is or what sin is tolerated. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I shouldn't be shocked. I don't think we should be shocked when somebody fails or falls or or sins or lies. We don't accept that, but we call that out. But equally, why are we trying to humiliate them? Yeah, I don't why would we do that? Well, I think Jesus lays out the steps, right? And the steps aren't meant to humiliate. No, they're they're based on relationship until they really can't be any longer. Sure, and I and I do think that there there are situations where more people may have to be involved. Of course, right? Of course, the circle's bigger. But ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, we need to approach this as an advocate for mm-hmm. this person because we've been advocated for one hundred percent, and also remembering. Like there's an accuser, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I don't think we're any, how do I want to say this? I I think that we're never more like Jesus than when we're advocating for somebody. And I think that we're never less like Jesus. Am I saying that right? Than when we're accusing someone because Jesus doesn't accuse. The thing about that, even in his conversations with the, with the Pharisees, he's not accusing them. He's enlightening them to the fact of you're incorrect but always for the purpose of restoration. Uh, The accuser, which is Satan, Scripture says in Revelation uh, 12 um, that Satan is our accuser. He accuses. Satan accused God in the beginning. Satan accuses God to Adam and Eve, continues on accusing, 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 accusing. Um, Even to this day, still accuses. So why does he, why do you think, so I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. He can't touch me, right? Okay. What does that mean? My soul, like I, I follow Jesus. It's not like yeah. Jesus is going to be like, all right, Satan, you can have him back yeah, right. because of sin. Like right. he paid for that on the cross. Right. So what's, why is Satan still accusing me over these past things that I've done or said or failures or mistakes? Yeah. Like why is he even messing with me? Well, I mean, Scripture tells us that the thief, and this is in reference to Satan, the thief comes to steal, kill, 
and destroy. So if he can't keep you from uh, Jesus Christ and being a follower of Christ, he's, I, I, f- I feel like he's going to try to immobilize you from reaching other people for Christ, immobilize you in your testimony, immobilize you in your marriage, immobilize you in your, in your identity, who you are. I mean, how many times have you, have you sinned? How many times has something happened in your life? And the first thought that comes to mind is, gosh, what's wrong with me? Hmm. Why did I do? And then, then the next thought is something like, does I, Dude, God's got to be so mad at me right now. Or how could I do this again? Or I'm such a failure. Or and then if you progress in that thought, it's almost like, does God? Could God even love me? Could God even care about me? Am I even a Christian? Am I going to go to heaven? Like it's just this yeah. progression. Those are all uh, accusations. Those are all accusations. Yeah. I think our flesh does that, right? But I also think the enemy, the enemy does that. And we can all. We talked about this in our in our small group this morning. We can all say that we don't struggle with that. But I, I know that we all do because you you take me and put me in the right situation. Yeah. And I probably, given enough of those situations, will start asking those questions. And so I think the hardest thing for us as Christians to ever wrestle with and struggle with is just believing the gospel. Yeah. Just believing the gospel. Yeah, because... I think another one of those things that Satan tells you in those moments is like, oh, oh my gosh, I can't believe yeah. if, if people knew. Yeah. And the reality mm. is like I, I have confessed sin. Hopefully every Christian has confessed sin to their brothers and their sisters mm-hmm. before. I've confessed sin and I have never received condemnation from mm. my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sure. You know, I think that there are those cases where that happens and Mm -hmm. there's plenty of evidence of church hurt out there. Like it's real. Yeah. But Satan wants my sin to be like this private Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. so that he can keep accusing me. Yeah. And isolating me. Right. Because what is, you know, John talks about Jesus being light and in him, Mm. there is no darkness. Yeah. And if you think about sin and what Satan wants you to do, mm-hmm. it's all hidden and dark yeah. and and like out of the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And confession is literally bringing things to light. Yeah. yeah. And, and so for him to accuse you, it, it's almost like, all right, do it, do it, do it, do it. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just did that. Yeah. It's like every oh. sixth grade boy in America. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do it, do it. Oh my word, I can't believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mom, no. mom, he just did it. Yeah. Yeah, nothing good grows in the dark except mushrooms. Those aren't good. Those are delicious. <laughs> so apart from mushrooms, yeah, <laughs> no, I would agree with you. And I think that's where uh, believers in Christ get into a dark place where they feel like I have to struggle with this alone. I have to walk with this alone because if, if people knew, then I would be humiliated. But man, what if what if we could flip flip the script on that right. and instead say, Listen, this isn't about humiliation. This isn't about we're all and listen, I think part of the reason that we don't do that is because as people on the opposite side is I I, I think it's because we wrestle with giving grace. I think sometimes we're I think we, we're like, I don't want to be too gracious. Like they gotta know that they did something wrong. Okay. I don't want to be too gracious. Like that's something that is what a ridiculous notion. 
There is a standard to uphold. That's not the question. Right. But the amount of grace that we give should be based kind of on the amount of grace that we've received. How much grace have we received from Jesus Christ? Yeah, I think in my flesh I can understand being hurt mm-hmm. by someone because sin, yes, of course. sin is never against just you. Yes. Like there are always collateral damage. So, And you're a human being, so you're going to wrestle with, with human emotions. But ultimately... Grace should win out in that yeah. wrestling match. Yeah. So I don't think that I think people assume like, hey, just because you're a pastor, just because you, you know, are in ministry or mm-hmm. you're spiritually mature, like you can't be hurt by sin or other yeah. people's sin. Yeah. And no, I'm 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 devastated by that yeah. stuff, especially when it's, you know, some something that happens where you trusted or you knew yeah, or you sure. loved or of course and. I think that feeling of betrayal, all that is natural, I guess, is my point. Yeah. But grace ultimately needs to be in a battle with that Mm. fleshly hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And grace needs to win out. It's a mental game, too. I I do think that you have to, at some point, uh, rise up above your emotions and allow. You're right. Logically, mentally, faith-wise, allow grace to win, to win out over it. Yeah. And I also think that's part of the reason why we have to be consistently in scripture, meditating on scripture, being led by the Holy Spirit. Cause I can tell you when somebody wrongs me or hurts me, my first, my first action isn't normally one of, well, let's just get through this with love. You know, like my initial human reaction is like, what? You know what yeah. I mean? And I can prove that because when my kids are disobedient, like, like a lot of times I will respond out of frustration. Like I will, yeah. they'll be disobedient. Maybe the second or third time, after they've been disciplined, after whatever, and they'll still do it again. My kids are good, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, But in the rare case that they're ever disobedient, sometimes I find myself saying like, are you serious? Can you just stop that right now? Just stop, stop it. And that's the voice of frustration. That's me responding out of frustration. And I think a lot of times that happens, but we do have the option to go back and quickly correct and lead out of a relationship of grace, which is so huge. Back to Matthew 18, that's where we see this blueprint for dealing with sin. Clearly, in relationship. I think that's point number one, even before you go. Like, how many times have you had or heard somebody come up to somebody else and say, hey, brother, I just want to point this out to you. And you're like, who are you again? Mm. Like, that, I don't need you to point anything out to me. Yeah, that's like, Twitter. Yeah, I don't need you to point it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need you to point anything out to me. I'm, I'm walking with people who are calling things out in me, and that's okay because I trust them. Mm-hmm. They know me. I've done life with them. Um, but yeah, I, I think sometimes we got some Christian snipers out there. Well, yeah. I mean, it's our role. Jesus is our advocate. Yeah. Satan is our accuser. We yeah. don't, we don't need other Christians out there accusing us, mm. especially if we're repentant, accusing each other. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that many of us are, uh, I guess, hesitant to confess sin to fellow brothers and mm. sisters in Christ because we're, we're not confident mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah. people will advocate on our behalf. Mm-hmm. We are hearing the accusations of Satan in our right. own mind, right. which we often beat ourselves up over our sin. And then, and then the third thing is like your point from Sunday was God is our judge. But I think a lot of times we feel like the church is our judge mm-hmm. yeah, or the outside world is our judge. Yeah. Well, and what's amazing about God being our judge is that the judgment has already been given. Like the moment that Jesus Christ died on the cross, our judgment was already given, and that was one of righteous. That was one of free, right? And so here we are 
it's like God is saying like, you're, you're already free. You're already forgiven. You're already loved as followers of Christ. And we're down here like battling over the table scraps of humiliation and, you know, being angry with one another and pettiness. Yeah. It's like, what, what are we, what are we doing? Like, let, there's something better. There's something more. And, and you know, that passage in James, it talks about sin and the finality of it. Sin always leads to death. Sin will always lead to death. Right. So as brothers and sisters of Christ, in Christ, our goal, our purpose isn't to jump in and humiliate. It's to, it's to stop that sin cycle before it becomes a cycle that leads to death. I want to jump in there, not just because I care about you, but because I know what sin produces, be it a small like thing, be it a large thing. I want to jump in and stand in the gap and be like, stop. No, no, listen, stop. I don't want you to do this because I know what's going to happen if you do, or I know what happens if you keep living this way. Yeah. That's all relationship because death is, I mean, you know, death is something that is, is you, you don't, you don't come back from, you know, it's, it's something that is, yeah. has a finality to it. Well, I mean, that's the goal, right? But through Christ, sin no longer has the power to produce yeah. death in my life. Yeah. Yep. In the same way. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it can make me ineffective. It can kill my ministry. It can mm -hmm. kill my, you know, my testimony with my neighbors or yeah. my family or. Sure. But ultimately, with God as our judge and Jesus yeah. as our advocate, my my soul is safe. Yeah, for sure. As long as I understand. Yeah. You know that true foundation. So. How does this practically play out? Just real quick, thirty seconds. How does this practically Im impact? impact us today just this whole teaching of like jesus being our advocate or sin yeah or well i mean even even just like with this feeding frenzy like that came about because yeah this is what christians this is what by and large a lot of christian culture is backbiting gossip hey there's blood in the water you know and then we all attack 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 Church is known for that. Church is known for being judgmental internally, externally, whatever. So how does this conversation, Jesus is our advocate, Satan is our accuser, God is our judge, um, and this outline in Matthew 18, right. the, the woman caught in adultery in John 8, Jesus being the living water in, in John chapter 7. Practically, yeah. how does this affect me? So I think two ways. The, the first is if you are struggling with sin, mm -hmm. understand that Jesus is your advocate. Okay. That Satan and will want, always be. And will always be. Yeah. Satan wants to keep this sin in the dark and multiply it and magnify mm -hmm. it. And always will. And always will. And if you're on the other side mm -hmm. of that, if you've been sinned against, yeah. your job is to advocate for those mm -hmm. people. And so I think practically, just very mm -hmm. practically, if mm -hmm. we spent our time not worrying about the sin in other people's lives, but truly, truly mm -hmm. trying to advocate on their behalf, trying to support them, help them, pray for them. Mm -hmm. If you are individually impacted, yeah, and I think that's key. Yeah, like if you know if if they're not at my church, mm -hmm. I don't need to know about their sin in order to pray for them. Yeah, that's good. You know, if they're not in my small group. Yeah. I don't need to know the details of someone else's sin in another small group. Mm -hmm. If if that sin hasn't impacted me personally mm -hmm. or I don't have the relationship. If there is no relationship. If because Matthew 18 is if someone has something against you or if you have something, you know, yeah. it's it's supposed to to start as a relationship. Yeah. Then I think that our our role is to unify the church to squash gossip to mm -hmm. to 
remind people of grace in their life, to remind people that God is the judge, not you, to... It's it's literally to be the advocate yeah. for those people as if Jesus is. It's kind of one of those yeah, yeah. Stay out of it. Sort That's of good. Situations. I think for me practically, uh, it's it it really narrows it down to this idea of forgiveness. You know, really, ultimately, I think sometimes we hold on to forgiving someone, not forgiving somebody, unforgiveness. Yeah. Um, for a couple of reasons, one of which is. For, I will share this. I mean, for about my entire life, I had a bad understanding of what forgiveness was. Not because it was modeled incorrectly, but just I had a bad understanding of what forgiveness was. I always thought, you know, if you hurt me and I forgave you, that meant that I also had to immediately trust you again. And I think that shifted in me a couple years ago when I realized like, oh, if you hurt me, I can forgive you and in the moment, but that trust is going to take a long time to rebuild. Right. So, you know, if you're watching my kids, if you're a babysitter, you're watching my kids and, and you hurt my kids, I can forgive you, but you're not going to watch my kids again. See what I'm saying? Sure. If you have hurt me, I can forgive you, but, but it's going to take a long time to build that trust. And so there is no reason why I should never, ever issue uh, a forgiveness to somebody. I should always uh, quickly. And Jesus says this as the t- his disciples say, well, how many times should we forgive somebody? Yeah. And Jesus is like 70 times seven, which isn't Jesus's language, infinity on infinity, just continue to. Right. And I forgive somebody on, not on the basis of what they've done, but I forgive somebody on the basis of what's been done for me. Hmm. I give grace to somebody, not on the basis of what's been done, but I give the grace on the amount that's been given to me, which scripture says it's been lavished upon us. That doesn't mean practically that like I have to trust somebody. Like if my financial advisor spends all my money, right. You know, I'll forgive him. Yeah. You're not investing my money again. Sure. And that doesn't mean I forgive him. It just means that I'm a wise individual and it's going to take a long time to build trust. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, that's fair. I thought it was a great sermon, timely reminder of, you know, how we personally need to deal with sin in our life, yeah. what that voice, that accusation, the accuser in our ear means yeah. and how we deal with it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good reminder of, man, at any moment, at any time, yeah, you have Christ as an advocate. So no, That's good. Cool. Uh, hey, stick with us. we got a couple things coming up, and then when we get back, we're going to talk about what's going on with the media. Hang tight with us. Speaking of feeding frenzy, uh, man, turn on the news, and it is a feeding frenzy right now. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even matter which news channel you turn on. Local news, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, YouTube News. Is there a YouTube news channel? I'm sure there is. 
everybody is just biting at each other, taking chunks out of each other, fighting. Um, man, why, what, what is the deal? What's your opinion on that? Well, first of all, Trump's taking hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> he is. If you didn't know, that's the biggest deal of all time. Did, did you see? Did you see when he announced that? Did you watch no, the video? I didn't watch he it. was. It, it seemed like he was really tentative to say that. He He's didn't like, want to oh. tell people. No, he was like, a lot of people are, you know, taking it, and a lot of the frontline workers are taking it, and I. I uh, I'm taking it, you know, <laughs> did he really? Yeah. And then people are like, what are you doing? He's like, ah, I've been taking it. You know, I was like, oh my word. I don't think he wanted to say that, but you know, my favorite thing I've told so many people this, I might even told you how I love when you watch a Trump press conference, how he picks the question. <laughs> it's like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You. <laughs> the other day, the other day he was you. in a, a press conference and he called on somebody Somebody else was angry, was asking a question while this other nice lady was walking up to the microphone and he was like, I'm not answering. He's like, next question. She's like, I didn't get to answer. He goes, you had your chance. Oh. I was like, what did somebody, she didn't have her chance at she all. Did, she didn't, she even, didn't even get to go to the microphone. I, and then he walked out. He's like, forget it. I'm out of here. And then he turned around and walked out. I was like, I just, wow. I want to see somebody do a video of him picking questions with like a Harry Potter wand. Like oh, on his finger. could somebody make that? If you, I can't. If somebody could make that for us here on midweek, would we highlight that? Oh yeah, that'd be well. If it was good, I think that that would somehow find its way into our opener. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Well, so what's going on with the media? Talk, well, talk about that. I would say, in my mind, it has become really tough mm-hmm. to just find news. Yeah, just the reporting of news. Yeah, and I've searched mm-hmm. like. You know, I I feel like you have to try somehow to like balance this the CNN coverage and the Fox yeah. News coverage with something that is just mm-hmm. the information. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that, and this has been so frustrating. The more that I've become aware of it, mm-hmm. um, and I was never somebody that like read or watched a ton of news. I read a lot of news. I didn't watch a ton of news. Mm-hmm. It's just opinions yeah. masquerading as yeah. news, and it's not news. Do you remember when that changed? No. I remember. Do you remember um, Remember that that new, that new channel on TV? I think it's still a channel. E? Remember yeah. E? Sure. I remember, remember when they had E! News? No. <laughs> no. This is, a, this is a while ago. It Did started, Mario Lopez host it? I think Mario Lopez. and some, No, there was somebody even before them. It was years and years and years ago, and I remember it was it got super popular. And then I remember watching news, like news outlets change because of that. I don't know that it was just because of that, but I think it, it, it influenced it because people, I'm going to say something really, really strong here. I don't know that we know how to form our own opinions very often. Yeah. I think a lot of people need other people to tell them what to think. And so I think the more that a TV show tells you what to think, the easier it is Mm. for some people. And that's for a lot of reasons. I think people are very busy. I don't think a lot of people necessarily take time to to think through what's taking place or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not that people are dumb. It's just, I think that people aren't taking the time to think through things. I would just rather have somebody stand up and regardless of what they look like, regardless of sure they're a man or a woman, I don't, I could care less. Just read the new, read the actual events of the day. Today, this happened today, this happened today, this happened. Right. And that's the news. Yeah. They should just say, that's what they should say. But now it's like, this is what happened. And here's what I think. 
instead of saying that's the news, they should say, and that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I feel like I don't any- know why everybody has to do. Oh, that's cool. I like it. <laughs> and that's kind of the news. <laughs> that's how Trump would do it. Yeah. Do you know what that's I mean? Though news. it's yeah. these op-ed opinion pieces that's like yeah, but they're not op-ed opinion pieces. They're mm. presented as the news. Yeah, you're right. They're front. They're front page yeah. of major national newspapers and websites yeah. and you read it mm-hmm. and it's not news it's an opinion yeah presented as if yeah it's news and you realize that so yeah. i was i was fascinated this week to learn this mm-hmm. because i don't know a lot about the british political system mm-hmm. well you came to the right place well, <laughs> right governor yeah <laughs> i wish i could do a better british accent so i was listening to this guy and in britain they have much stronger, like, um, or they, they don't have as free of a First Amendment, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know how they present the news in England. You they have just have the guy in the street that opens up the scroll and hear reads it. Ye, yeah, hear that's how they ye. still do the news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was perfect. But it's true. Yeah. So... They have to. So if you're a news anchor yeah. in England, mm-hmm. you're supposed to essentially be the opposition to whoever it is that you're on with. Okay. So if you're okay. on with a conservative... So you have competing opinions. No matter what, you have to have a competing opinion. Huh. So That's you can't just have a conservative go on and give his conservative opinion mm-hmm. unless the anchor is presenting the liberal opinion in opposition. Huh. But then that same anchor... Uh-huh. Is supposed to, if the next guy is a liberal, present mm-hmm. the conservative opposition mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. So it's this like combative relationship yeah. between. And the purpose of that would be. Balance. So that you're getting a healthy balance. No matter what the English people or the British people are supposed to yeah. have balance to yeah. what they say. So you can't just have a pro Israel guy on mm-hmm. without having like some like just super anti-Israel, yeah. pro-Palestinian on. You yeah. have to have both, or they won't let you just show the pro-Israel yeah. guy. Huh, that's interesting. Now, I don't know all the rules behind it, or if it's only like state-run media stuff. I don't, I don't yeah. know all that, but I thought that was fascinating. That is. I don't think that's how the American media works. No, people say whatever <laughs> they want to say, right? Yeah, and I, and I think that's part of the... I think that's part of the issue is that everybody does have an agenda. Everybody's got an agenda. And, and I, you know, I'm really excited for this series that we're going to be doing in, in July. Um, we're gonna be talking about worldview. I was just going to mention that. Were yeah. Really? Perfect time for another series. Like, yeah. like it's yeah. perfect for that. Yeah. Because I think as followers of Christ, clearly part of our job is to, is to meditate on scripture, to learn scriptures, to act and be like Jesus. Um, we, we get that. We know all that, right? But I also think that part of our job, part of clearly part of our job is to run everyday life through the filter of scripture. And that's where we get wisdom. We, we get wisdom that way. And that means that we have a biblical world view. And one of the things that we're going to talk about, which we talked about before, but it's so important to remember that is that if it's not a biblical worldview, it is an anti-biblical worldview. Right. And I think a lot of times we want to be very sympathetic and say like, no, there's somewhere in between. No, there's not. There's not. It, it really is that black and white. Yeah. It's either biblical or it's anti-biblical. Right. Well, I think that when it comes to 
questions of worldview conversation, mm-hmm. we have certainly lost, and I've talked about this on the Monday motivation stuff, we mm-hmm. have lost the ability to converse with someone who disagrees with us, mm-hmm. especially in a way that's respectful mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it is because it's there's not a lot of face-to-face, mm-hmm. we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. but ultimately, the Bible presents the truth. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately there are some things that we will never compromise on. Sure. But when it comes to media specifically, Mm -hmm. media specifically, what are some things that you like to do as you read through whatever you're reading through Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that you are, I guess, being objective and thoughtful with how you consume media? Are you asking me personally? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, one of the things I got to consider the source. That's it. Every time yep. I got to consider the source. Who is the person conveying this? Where is that information coming from? Who gave that information to the person that took the information? Like you got to try as much as you can to understand that. Right. Then I also have to look for truth. What is truth? And I'm not going to be dictated to, uh, and told what truth is. I'm going, truth is the most important thing for us to discover. If there's anything in this world, right? I want to know the truth of it, not the emotion of it. I need the truth. Um, This is why Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the Mm -hmm. life. And so the discovery of truth is one of the key foundational uh, points of of us being alive. So I need to figure out the truth, not just be told what truth is. So I think that's part of it for me. I am taking in everything as an opinion. Now, they might be relaying a lot of truth in it because maybe the president said this or maybe Pelosi did that or maybe King Jong-un is alive or maybe he's dead. I don't even know. Um, But I am going to have to, on my own, try and piece together and source together to form an opinion based on truth. Hmm. So I don't want people to dictate truth to me. And I would say it's the same in media as it is in the church. Um, each one of us is going to be held accountable for our walk with Jesus Christ. And every single one of us, I was just thinking about this, you know, uh, yesterday, Ra- Ravi Zacharias yeah, died. I, I was that. just thinking about when mm-hmm. you said we need people who can converse politely and kindly, but with authoritatively, he was one of those people yeah. and unbelievable Ravi Zacharias. If you don't know him, you should Google him. Oh man. Watch some, watch some speeches. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. Great. But you know, right now he's literally in heaven, yeah, you know, which is an unbelievable thing to yeah. think about. But um, what was my point with that? Oh, my point was that he had to give an account for his own life, just like you and I will. Um, and, you know, somebody who comes to our church, they're not going to be able to stand up before God someday and be like, well, I mean, Travis told me that it was okay to do this. And God's not going to uh-huh. be like, well, okay, I, right. I get, no, you are accountable for your own. That's why scripture says study to show yourself approved. It says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so the way that I approach any type of person handing me down, quote, truth is that I need to ingest it uh, before I ingest it. I need to sort it out for myself so I can take full accountability. But I know we could get into that a lot, but that has to be done through a biblical worldview. Right. So that's how that's how I'm kind of approaching. You have to have a biblical worldview. If you don't, you have an anti-biblical worldview. Or if you don't, you're going to be lied to and taken advantage of. Taken advantage of. So, yeah, I think the same, I think really similar for me when it comes to media. I think the only other thing that I would add is be, be cognizant of not only the things they're telling you, Mm. but one of the things I really started to notice is 
the stuff that they're not telling you. Yeah, that's really good. So when it comes to politics, for example, there's so much political news out there. If right. you only see quotes from one side of the aisle mm-hmm. in an article, right? understand there's a whole other side that's not being represented. Right. And, <clears throat> and even if ideologically I may want to agree, be predisposed to agree mm-hmm. with this article. Sure. I want truth more yeah. than agreement. It's yeah. possible for Democrats to be wrong, bad. It's possible for Republicans to be wrong, bad. Just mm-hmm. because there's an R or a D doesn't yeah. give one or the other mm. just a free pass when it comes to things like truth. So yeah. if our president is untruthful, I want to know that he's untruthful. Sure. Right? Yes. Because I need to filter yeah. all of these decisions through yep. Truth. Yep. Got to have wisdom. Got to surround ourselves with people who are wise as well. Don't be fooled by the media. Yep. Excuse me. Hey, that was good. Good conversation. Yeah. Uh, Hey, we're here every single Wednesday, 10 o'clock. And we'll be back this Sunday for for church, church online. Excited about that. C-O-V-N-T dot live. Join us and we'll see you next time on Covenant Midweek.